Our topic tonight has to do with the judgment, the books of judgment in particular. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit about the judgment, the judgment time, and all that in time prophecy in Daniel. Well, let's go back to Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9. It says, And the Ancient of Days was seated, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him, and the court was seated, and the books were opened. And so what we're going to be discussing tonight is what are these books? It's books plural, right? So there's more than one book. And so what are these books that come into play in the judgment, right? And so here's the Ancient of Days, and he's seated on his throne, and there's 10,000 times 10,000 standing behind him. So he's got all these angel witnesses that have seen the events taking place in our lives, and they're there before his throne. So huge crowd, all of heaven gathered for this scene, and the court is in session. Right, here comes the judge, right? And they open the books. Verse 13, And behold, one like, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. So we have the Ancient of Days, we have 10,000 times 10,000, we have the recording angels opening the books, and we have the Son of Man coming also to this glorious heavenly scene. Revelation 20 says basically the same thing again. Daniel and Revelation parallel. Revelation 20, verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. So again, Daniel mentions books. Revelation mentions books. Right? So these books in relation to this judgment, right? and the dead being judged by those things, and the great white throne, and so the Ancient of Days sitting on his throne, sitting in the courtroom, and he's there. This is the great white throne judgment time. Right? And so as this is taking place, again, the dead will be judged at that time, at that judgment time, right? and so the dead are there standing before God, whether literally standing or their record standing in their behalf, right? So the books are open, you don't actually need the, the physical person there. But the books are opened, and another book, in addition to the books, is the book of life, right? And that's written about several times in the Bible, and we're going to look at those texts, and then we're going to look at what are these other books as well. And then the dead were judged according to their works. So the judgment, clearly in this text and several others, many throughout the Bible, will be judged according to their works. And their works, our works, are written in these books. Now to be very clear, we are saved by faith, through grace, through the acts of Yeshua the Messiah, through the works that he did in our behalf. That's what saves us, not our works. We're not saved by works in any way, shape, or form. But we will be judged by our works, according to Revelation 20, verse 11 and 12. Be judged by our works, the things that were done, that are written, in these books. Revelation still, chapter 11 this time, verse 15, the seventh angel sounded, and the nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints, those who fear your name, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. In Revelation 22, verse 12, very similar as well, behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with, with me, to give to everyone according to his work. Okay, so the seventh angel, the very last of the seven shofars, the seven trumpets, the seven angels blowing those seven trumpets, the last one, so it's the end of the age, it's at the end of time, right? So it's all future, and the dead, that they would be judged at that time, and in that judgment, the dead being judged, they're judged according to the works. The righteous, 
reward the servants and destroy the wicked, right? Simultaneously, as in that text. And so the rewards, and, and the scriptures tell us what the rewards are, the wages of sin, the rewards for sin, is death. And the gift of God, the reward of God, is everlasting life, right? Through Yeshua the Messiah. And so as, in, as we read there, so to give everyone according to his work. So we're saved by grace, but judged by works. Because if we've truly received the salvation of the Lord, if we've truly received his forgiveness and his cleansing because of his work in our behalf, because of his sacrifice as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, if we've received his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his cleansing, and then we've received of his spirit, we've received of his ruach, we've received of his power, it will transform our lives and change our lives so that the good works will come forth out of our lives and thus he can judge us by our works by their works you shall know them by the actions you shall know them you shall know a tree by what type of fruit it produces right if it produces acorns it's an oak tree right if it produces apples it's an apple tree right and you can you can we can produce works on our own which are not from god which are good works and attempts out of our own we have examples in the bible we have uh uh, Saul of Tarsus, he was a very righteous man, very legal on all his records, but was not sanctified by God, wasn't transformed by God. He was doing it outwardly by his own works, his own efforts. A young man came to Yeshua and said, I've done all these things, I've kept all these laws since I was a young child, but still wasn't accepted by God because it was his own works. So we can put on works, we can act a good act, but that's not the salvific act. That's not the, the acts that come about as God's salvation in us. They may look similar outwardly, but if we're truly saved by God, good works by God's grace, by God's power, will flow out of us. And that's different than works that we do on our own. They may look similar, maybe the same exact ones, but one is produced by us and the other is produced by God working through us. And it's only the works that God does through us, after he's cleansed us and forgiven us, that account before God. Our own works, the Bible says, is filthy rags, worthless before God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Messiah that everyone may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Right? So several places in the Bible we're seeing this theme. Um, same thing, seeing the same things. Everyone, we must all appear before that judgment seat. We must all appear before that great white throne judgment. We must all appear with the 10,000 times 10,000 angels there and the court being seated and the books being opened. And we will receive our rewards according to what we have done, whether good or bad. Again, our actions, our decisions that produce those actions. So all will have to appear. Just like in school, right? Even an A student, even a top student, A all the way through, A in all their classes, A in all their classes for all their years in school, they still have to take the final exam, right? Teachers and say, well, I know you're an A student. I know you're going to ace the exam. You don't have to take. No, everyone has to. And the teacher still has to grade that final exam and bring forth the grade, right? And so same, all will have to appear. The righteous as well as the wicked to be judged in God's final judgment time. And just like with the teacher, the judgment has to take place before the Lord comes, because as we read in that other text in Revelation 22, he comes with his reward. The teacher can't give the final grade until they first graded the test, even of that A student. And so the grading takes place first, and then the Lord comes. The judgment takes place first, or at least starts first. It's a long process. It begins first, and then he's able to come with his judgment and give everyone according to their works. 
So now to the books, right? The court was seated and the books were open. So what are these books that take place in this judgment that all will have to appear before? Again, whether physically appear before or a record appear before. What are these books? And it's important to know what these books are because we have a part in what goes into those books. Now, God actually is not using books anymore. He's got everything in the cloud. And so anyway, but the, <laughs> actually he had it in the cloud before the cloud existed, right? Yeah. Well, he still likes the books, right? He still old fashioned, he still has it in the books, right? The books are in the cloud. How's that? Okay, anyway. So what are these books? We have the book, the Lamb's Book of Life. All right, so that's one of the books. And let's look at what the Bible has to say regarding that. In Revelation 13, verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship the beast whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And then Philippians 4, verse 3, Help these women who labored with me in the gospel and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So we have a contrast here. We have those who are doing God's work and doing spreading God's gospel and have surrendered their lives to the Lord and are filled with God's spirit and God's works are coming forth out of their lives and their names are in the book of life. And in contrast to those, we have the ones whose names are not written in the book of life and they end up following the beast and worshiping the beast. And we'll get into that in a whole other time, right? The Bible is very clear on which is the beast's power and what is the mark of the beast. I mean, it'd be silly for God not to reveal that to us and then warn us regarding it, right? So we'll get into that a whole other time. But they'll be worshiping the beast and their names are not written in the book of life. So the book of life has the record of those who've surrendered their lives to the Lord. If they haven't surrendered their lives to the Lord, then their names are not in that book at all. Some more text on this. Psalms 69, verse 28. Let them be blotted out of the book of life and not be written with the righteous. And in Revelation 22, 19, if anyone takes away the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in the book. In Revelation 20, verse 15, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So here in these texts, very clearly we have that their names were, there are some people whose names were in the book of life, but because of their choices, and God still gives us free choice, he gives us free choice to get into the book of life, and he gives us free choice to get out of the book of life. Just as he gave Lucifer free choice to leave heaven if he wanted, just as he gave Adam and Eve free choice to leave the Garden of Eden if they wanted, he also will always, for eternity, allow us to have free choice. And so they chose to have their names written in the book of life, but then by their actions, as it says in Psalm 69, verse 28, let them be blotted out of the book of life, and thus then not be written with the righteous. And in Revelation 22, if they disobey and take the words of God, and take it, uh, misuse it, then their names will be taken out of the book of life. So we have the book of life, the first book that we that we are looking at tonight in these books of the judgment is the book of life. In Malachi verse 3, chapter 3 rather, verse 16, so a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. So there's this book of remembrance. It's mentioned there in, in, in this text, in Malachi, that there's this book of remembrance. And so God remembers and records in the book of remembrance the good deeds, the righteous deeds that God did through his people. Those who fear his name and those who meditate on his name, their actions of remembrance are written in God's book. Nothing goes unnoticed. Maybe no one else noticed. Maybe it was done secretly and anonymously, the, the, the acts that God did through you, and, but God sees it and God records it in his book of remembrance. So we have the book of life and we have the book of remembrance. The book of life with the names of those who surrendered their lives to the Lord, the book of remembrance, the good deeds 
that they have done. Ecclesiastes verse 12, chapter 12, verse 13, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Right? So we have the book of remembrance of the things that were good are brought into the judgment, and thus there must be a book of evil that those things might be remembered and brought up in the judgment as well. So while we don't have a text that specifically says a book of evil, this text and the other ones that said that we'll be judged by the things done in the flesh, whether good or evil, as this text said, uh, then there must be a book that records the evil deeds that are done as well. And so we have book of life, book of remembrance, book of evil. Psalm 56 verse eight, put my tears into your bottle are they not written in your book? So there's a book of tears, right? There's a bottle of tears and a book that records the things that caused us to cry. So no tear goes unnoticed. No tear is shed that is not caught by God and placed in his bottle. And some people have bigger bottles than others. Some have gone through some very hard times, difficult times, sad times, and God records them. God sees them, and more than sees our suffering, he experiences our suffering with us. He cries when we cry. He's pained when we're in pain. He is so connected with us. His love for us is continual. He neither sleeps nor slumbers. Whether it's day or night, he is among us and is connected to us and is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And he writes them in his book and he takes that into consideration in the judgment. He knows the sufferings that we've gone through and he brings that in on this judgment process. So it's not so black and white, good and bad deeds. He also knows the troubles. No one knows the troubles I've seen, right? Nobody, but God knows. God knows the troubles we've seen and he records that in his book. And more than that, he left heaven and came here to this earth and embodied human flesh so that he can experience our suffering, so that he can know what it's like to experience heartache and suffering and pain and sorrow and grief and difficulty. That he can know what it's like to suffer from thirst and hunger that he can know what it's like to be rejected and to have loss and to be hurt emotionally and physically. That he can know what it's like to cry. And he suffered with us. So in the judgment is also the book of tears. God in his great love God in his great mercy will take that into account as well. This is a very interesting text. Matthew chapter 11, verse 23. Capernaum, if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of the judgment than for you. Very interesting text. And he goes on and does some other comparisons with, with, uh, with other cities and Jonah and other city, another city and, and, and the Queen of Sheba. But here he's talking about Capernaum and Sodom. And it says, as all the other texts, it's in the future tense, it shall be, so future tense, more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment. So Sodom has not even been judged yet, at least not eternally. Right? They received their earthly punishment, fire come down from heaven and destroyed them, right? And I've been there. 
seen the ashes, seen the sulfur balls, set them on fire. They were destroyed, but they're not eternally judged yet, according to this text. The time of the dead that they shall be judged. So Sodom will come forth in that time of judgment and it'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom than for Capernaum. Thus God doesn't again just gray, black, and white. There's no just scale. Well, good deeds, bad deeds. Oh, he's fortunate he, he had one more good deed than bad deed and he makes it in. It'll be more tolerable. There's a grading scale that God places into the judgment. And if it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom, then that means it's possible that even some people from Sodom will be in heaven. That God's going to have tolerance on the people of Sodom. Now how on earth can he have tolerance for the people of Sodom that he destroyed with fire, that he deemed unfit for life on this earth? Because he takes all things into consideration. He takes their tears into consideration. He takes how much truth was available to them. As it says, if the mighty works which were done in New Capernaum had been done in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. They didn't have as much light as Capernaum did. What did they have? What did Sodom have? The Bible wasn't even written yet. And all they had was Lot there, and Lot's wife. <laughs> no good she was. That was the only witness they had. That was the only light that they had from heaven. And so God takes that into consideration in the judgment. Capernaum has, had much more light. Yeshua there, walking there, teaching there, doing miracles there, healing people there. Preaching there, demoniacs healed there. And many people came to the Lord there. The leader of the synagogue came to the Lord there. A Roman centurion came to the Lord there. Peter came to the Lord there. Peter's mother-in-law came to the Lord there. Many people came, but for the amount of light that was available to them, it'll be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Sodom than for them, judged according to the light that was available to them. So who then do you think it'll be more tolerable for in the judgment? Capernaum? Or you and me and the rest of us here in the United States in this day and age? Who has more light available to them? Who has Bibles in hotels? Who has Bibles in stores? Who has Bibles available on the internet? Who has Bibles available for their phone? Who has synagogues and, and places of worship all around the country? Who has opportunities to come and know the Lord and to worship freely? They, many of them couldn't read in Capernaum. And they didn't all have Bibles in their home. They don't all have scrolls in their homes. And have it available to them as much as we do today. They didn't have all the books of the Bible that we have today. We will be held in a higher standard of the judgment than Capernaum. And so it can be written that it'll be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Capernaum and for Sodom than it, it will be for you and me and the rest in this country. So that's solemn. We're going to be held to a higher standard. And you may be thinking, well, I don't want to be held to that higher standard. I'm going to stick my head in the mud. I don't want to know anymore. I don't want to hear anymore. I don't want to read anymore. I'll be held accountable for that. Well, it's not only being held accountable for what we know, it's being held accountable for what we had the opportunity to know. And so by making the decision to stick our head in the sand and to cover our ears and to close our eyes and to not read or to not go to services, then we will be held accountable to that because it was available to us. So again, a higher judgment, a higher standard. And you might think, well, that's not so nice. But it really is. 
Just this week, I was driving down the road and I saw one of these guys up on a telephone pole working with these high wires, and he had um, all this suit on and gloves on and, and a big right, orange rubber thing on top of the wires there, and he was working away, and I'm sure if he touched the wrong wire, he would have got shot to the moon. <laughs> now, who do you think is more likely to get electrocuted? That guy or homeowner Joe playing around in his basement, putting in a new electric line uh, for his computer or whatever, or his TV console, and he wants to run some wires through his house and put in a new electric box. Who do you think has a greater chance of getting shocked and electrocuted? The guy up on the high wire or the guy in his basement? That's right, Joe. Right, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I was seeing someone put something up and the whole electric box was, was, uh, was electric charged. You could have plugged something into the side of the electric box. It would have given you electricity, right? You know, so, yeah, the guy with all, you can have a whole lot more wires up there, a whole lot more electricity he's working with. But since he has the training, the education, the knowledge, the continual training, and the equipment to keep him safe, he is safer. And the same with us. We have the armor of God. We have the word of God. We have all this available to us to learn and to absorb and so that we can be safe against the wiles of the devil. We can be safe and protected against his temptation, against his tricks, because of what God has revealed to us and shown to us. So while it'll be held to a higher standard, it's easier to meet that standard because we have more of God's grace and power available to us through prayer, through acceptance, of what he has offered to really the whole world. But having the knowledge of how to plug into it makes it more available to us than for others. And so while it's in the judgment, it'll be more tolerable for us than for people in North Korea, whose light has been shut off, the word of God has been shut off from them. They're not allowed to have missionaries there. They're not allowed to have congregations there. They're not allowed to have the word of God there. They're not allowed to have the internet there. They're closed off. And if anyone is caught worshiping God, they're killed. But God knows their tears and knows their experience. As it says in the next text, in Psalm 87, verse 6, the Lord will record when he registers the people, this one was born there. And in context of that chapter, he's talking about those that were born in Babylon. The Lord knows that this one was born there. Those that were born in Jerusalem, the Lord knows that this one was born there. The Lord will record in a book, no doubt, and he will register, again, in a book, in the registry. He will register, he will record where we were born, under what circumstances. Were we raised with godly influence? Did we have that available to us? Did we have godly parents? Did they take us to services? Was that available to us? Or we were locked up in North Korea or somewhere where it was not available to us. God will take that into consideration in the judgment. And so in that mercy scale, God knows the hearts of those in North Korea and other places. So we might think, well, hey, well, that's great. If it's been more merciful for them, then that's great. Then we don't even have to go there. We don't even have to risk our lives and go and share the gospel in these places. But let me ask you a question. Is it possible for somebody with a teacher and a textbook and an education all the way up to that point to learn trigonometry? That possible? If they've gone through all the schooling, learned multiplication, addition, everything up to that point, and have a good teacher and a good textbook, is it possible to learn trigonometry? Yeah, yeah. You may say not for me, <laughs> but it is possible for somebody to learn trigonometry, right? So it is possible. Is it possible for someone without a teacher but just a textbook to learn trigonometry? Yeah, yeah, it's more difficult, it's harder, no question to be asked. But yeah, someone can learn trigonometry with a textbook. How about without a teacher and without a textbook? Is it possible to learn trigonometry without a textbook, without a teacher? Yes. No? Yes? 
No? What about the first person who invented trigonometry, right? Or figured it out. He didn't invent it, but figured out trigonometry, right? So someone did not have a textbook. They did not have a teacher, but they used their reasoning and everything up to that point and figured out how to do trigonometry. So yes, it's possible for someone to come to the Lord without a Bible and without anyone teaching them the Bible. The Holy Spirit still goes over walls and, or over fences and through walls. Right? The internet might not be there, but God, Holy Spirit is there. And God is still convicting and bringing people to him. Abraham didn't have a teacher. Abraham didn't have a Bible. The Holy Spirit is able to work and able to move. But like learning trigonometry without a teacher and without a book, it's much harder. And so there'll be less of a chance of them receiving. Thus, it's important for us to translate the scriptures into all language. Thus, it's important for us to go and to share with those who don't know it. That's why the Bible says, how beautiful are the feet of those who go and proclaim good news. And how shall they hear unless someone goes and tells them? Right? And so people need to see it, or it's much easier and much better if people see it in the flesh. And so, yes, the Holy Spirit and God will take that into consideration in the judgment, but how much easier it'll be for them to come into the kingdom in seeing it in our lives. And that's whether it's in North Korea or it's the person right next door to you in your house. Or in the house next door, or maybe in your house. God wants to use us in helping others to come to him. So God will take all these things into consideration. So we have the record or the book or the registry of where we were born and under what conditions we were born. And God will bring all of this into his merciful judgment, not wanting that any should perish. But yet still, even with all of that, even with God's mercy and God's love and God's desire for us to be there and him taking into consideration our tears and taking into consideration where we were born and under what circumstances and the difficulties and problems, still, if we resist and reject, he will not allow them into heaven. So a judgment will sit and the books will be open and the book of life will be opened and a name will be written, or, or, uh, called off out of the book, read out of the book. And their record or their will come forth, come, their being will come forth. And they will stand before the judgment seat of Messiah. And judged according to the word of God, judged according to the law of God. And so then what takes place? How does that look? Well, Let's say we got these books, right? So there's the books, the books of tears, the books of remembrance, the books of good deeds, bad deeds, books of where we were born. And so we got the good deeds and bad deeds, right? And so one of these 10,000 times 10,000 angels standing there picks up the person's book. And let's say in this case, this is the book of bad deeds. Man, it's a very small book. Not too many bad deeds. Ah, oh, this person attended services all the time. Every time the door was open, went and did these things and then shared here and there, and was very faithful in giving, uh, returning tithes and offerings and following God. Very small uh, list there of, uh, of bad deeds, just a few bad deeds. And but there's good deeds. Lots and lots and lots of good deeds are recorded here in this book. And so one thing after another of all these good deeds that he did in following the Lord and being faithful to the Lord. Oh, on and on, his whole entire life. It goes through it, and it's a wonderful record of his good deeds. But Satan is there to accuse him as the accuser of the brethren, and he speaks up and says, what well, did you notice? In those few bad deeds, there's something there Look on page 666, or <laughs> look on such and such a page, and you will see it there, recorded there, that uh, there's something he didn't confess. It's something that it was hidden to everyone else. It was a secret thing. 
No one else knew about it. Even the person's spouse didn't know about it. But he knew about it. And God will turn to his attending angels, the 10,000 times 10,000, and say, did you give him opportunity to confess that? And one after another will come forth and say, oh, yes, I, I had a, a sermon preached on that topic while he was there, and, and uh, I guided his fingers one day, he was flipping through the Bible, and I had him stop at a certain page that exposed that sin, and, and there was one time he was having a conversation, and someone was telling him about their experience. It was the same type of thing and how they confessed it and gave it over to the Lord. And he had all these opportunities to think about it and conviction. And the Holy Spirit says, yes, and I convicted his mind on it. And he resisted and blamed others, blamed that minister for, for preaching at him and writing that sermon about him and, and, uh, and the people and, and excusing it away. And, and he refused to confess it, refused to surrender it over to the Lord. And so the Lord will sadly say it will have to remain on the books, blot his name out of the Lamb's book of life. And he will be judged and lost. Another name is called and another person comes forward. And this time this person calls forth the text that I saw in the night visions and behold one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him and he asks for permission to have a defense attorney stand beside him and so Yeshua will stand beside this person and plead in his behalf and God will bring forth the books again. And this time for this person, the small book is the good deeds. And they are good deeds, but there's not many of them. And they were done over a short period of time. And so they are read over and looked over. And then the list of bad deeds is brought forth. And it's a heavy, and big book and they go through the list of bad deeds oh and they are very bad deeds done over a long period of time affecting many people hurting many people horrible horrendous things purposely done rebelliously done choosing to do them resistance against God enmity against God, hatred and anger and bitterness and wrath, horrible record of account, and Satan will be there gleaming and beaming and smiling and laughing. I tempted him to do all those things. But his defense attorney will stand up and say, yes, he has done all of those things. But, Your Honor, I want you to take note that on every page and over every line and over every sin is written in red blood, my own, forgiven, 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 forgiven. Nothing in here has not been confessed and not been repented of. All has been forgiven. All has been removed. I've paid for it all. That, book's is, that book is no longer his, but it is mine. That record is no longer his, but mine. And the price has been paid for all of those sins. And the Ancient of Days will say, remove that book from the record then, and keep the book of remembrance of his good deeds. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Enter into the gates. Enter into eternal life. All of this is symbolic of what takes place on the Day of Atonement. Or the Day of Atonement, what takes place on the Day of Atonement is symbolic 
of what is taking place in heaven. The heavenly books, the heavenly judgment. On Yom Kippur, it says in Leviticus chapter 16, for on that day, on Yom Kippur, the, the Kohen, the, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, to blot the sins out, to cleanse you and to forgive you of your sins, to wash the record clean. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as that process takes place on earth, then it is take, takes place in the record books of heaven. And on to 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. The heavenly sanctuary. Well, when is it going to finish being cleansed? It's dependent on us. If we have someone cleaning the synagogue here and they're vacuuming the rug and, and shampooing the rug and they work their way all the way across the sanctuary and they get almost fully done and going out the door and then someone else comes in the other door with mud on their feet and trample through the sanctuary, is the sanctuary cleansed? No. no. Has to go back and re-vacuum and re-mop, right? Re-shampoo. And as long as we continue to defile the books in heaven, as long as we continue to sin, as long as we continue to rebel against God, as long as we continue to re refuse his power and his grace to gain victory over sin, then records of sin continue to be recorded into heaven. And God is not willing that any should perish. He is long-suffering, wanting all to come to repentance, all to come to heaven. And so in his long-suffering mercy, he's waiting and waiting and waiting for the books to be sealed. For people to make their choice once and for all, either they're going to choose to rebel against him and choose to sin and choose to follow the beast, or they're going to choose to surrender all and receive full forgiveness and full victory over sin and overcome by the blood of the Lamb. They overcame by the word of his testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. And when we overcome and become overcomers and are clothed in white in raiment that he provides for us and choose to stop sinning and choose not to sin, choose the Lord in every decision, Choose to no longer rebelliously reject him and go against his word. Then the book will be closed. And the gospel will go to the world. Because it will be lived out in our lives. And they will have an opportunity to see it. And then he can come. In Revelation 3 verse 5, He who overcomes shall be clothed with white garments. He invites us to be covered in his white garments. To overcome as he overcame. To all the seven congregations in Revelation, it says, to he that overcometh, to he that overcometh, to he that overcometh, to he that overcometh. He wants us to overcome. And we can overcome by his power and by his grace. That he can come for a bride without spot, without wrinkle, without defilement, without blemish with no guile in our mouths. And he won't come for anything less than a virgin bride. And so he's waiting upon us. The sanctuary cannot be cleansed until we stop trampling through it with muddy feet. And that's why on Yom Kippur we come dressed in white. Symbolic that we've gone through Rosh Hashanah, that we've gone through the ten days of awe, that we've gone through this time of repentance, that we've confessed all our sins, that we've allowed the Holy Spirit to convict us, as the psalmist wrote, search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. And they go through the process of allowing God to convict, to reveal, for the Holy Spirit to do his work, 
to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. And as he convicts us, then we can confess it and surrender it with every secret thing and outward thing and give it over to the Lord and receive his mercy and his grace. And then be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot his name from the book of life. It'll be sealed there for all eternity. Now this picture is a little bit wrong because here the white garment is being placed over the dirty garment. God doesn't just cover over our sins. He removes the filthy garments and replaces them with new garments. He doesn't just cover over the sins. He has bought the sin and has removed the sin from us. Taken away. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Removed from us. You shall call his name Yeshua for he will save his people from their sins. He delivers us from sin. He delivers us from sinning. He delivers us from the record and from the power that it's had over us. He sets us free and free indeed, completely free from the bondage of sin and alive unto the Lord of life. And with his life lived in us and out of us and through us, he is able to keep us from sinning, and present us before the Lord at his appearing. And that's what the Lord is waiting on. He's wanting us to get serious with him and to move forward by his grace and by his power. And so we have a choice of what garments we want to wear. Whether we want to receive the wedding garments provided for us or we want to stand on our own merits, our own good deeds, our own abilities, our own lifestyle, continue with our thoughts and our habits and our actions and our wants and our desires, whether we want to do things our way or whether we want God, allow, to allow God to do things His way through us. That's the only... Things that are, that's the only choice they're going to be. It's the only kind of people that's going to be on this earth in these last days. Those doing things their way or those who are allowing God to do his things, his way, through them. Which do we want to be? Which do you want to be? And so in a moment when we pray, if you want to Thank God and praise God for the judgment, that he is fair, that he is just, that he takes into consideration your pain and your suffering, that he takes into consideration where you were born and everyone on this earth and under what conditions, then you can praise him for that. Secondly, if you want to thank him and praise him for all the opportunity that has been given to you, at the word of God that has been delivered to you, that all that ha you have available to you to grow and be strengthened with the armor of God, with the power of God, with the grace of God, to go forth against the temptations of the devil, to go forth victoriously from victory to victory and allow him to pour out his spirit with laddering power upon you, and his protection and his grace and his goodness and his life, and his gifts in you and through you. Third, if there's something on your record book, maybe just one thing, like that young man that came to Yeshua, I've done all these things since my youth, but one thing he was lacking, and that one thing he wasn't willing to give over. Is there one thing in your life is there one area in your life the Holy Spirit has been bringing this to your mind? Might be a secret thing, but he knows it and you know it. And in a moment, when we pray, I invite you to surrender it before him.
and let him blot that out of the record book. Let him cover that with his blood. Let him have written forgiveness, forgiven over that. And let him give you the victory, the complete victory over the sin and over the root of the sin. And totally remove it out of your life and transform you in that area. Fourth, if you're willing to pray and allow God to show you maybe something you don't know yet, maybe something he hasn't convicted you of yet, but it's still there and you want to allow him so that it can be removed. And you want to pray with David and you want to pray with me, Lord, search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. Lord, I open myself up to you. Open my book to me. Show me what's in there. Show me what's on my record. Show me from the past. Show me from the present. Show me an unknown sin in my life. If you want to give him permission to do that tonight and moving forward, then the moment when we pray, give him permission to bring conviction to your mind so that he can bring forgiveness to your life, so that he can bring victory in that area and make you whole in him. And so if any of those areas apply to you or maybe some other area God's been speaking to your heart and mind about, as we pray, let us like God do his work and to cover us with his righteousness, to remove all of our works and to allow his works to be lived in us. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your name and we thank you, Lord, that you take all these things into consideration in your judgment. Thank you, Lord, your judgment is full and complete. Thank you that it's open, nothing hidden. You have 10,000 times 10,000 standing before you. Thank you that all will be revealed. Thank you that you, you provided an advocate. Thank you, Yeshua, for knowing about us and experiencing our suffering with us. Thank you for your a bottle of tears. Thank you for storing them up. Thank you for your love for us. And thank you, Lord, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we give you permission to convict us. We're thankful, Lord, for your sacrifice. We thank you for the forgiveness. So convict us and forgive us and cleanse us. And thank you, Lord, for the gift of life and of everlasting life. Write our names into your book and seal us there. Lashana Tova Tikatevu. Inscribe our names in your book for a full and complete year and life and eternal life. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.